Good morning. I want to greet each one in Christ's name this morning. I'm going to continue my study in Ephesians, so you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. question I want to start out this morning with is, do we have a calling? Do you feel called to something? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Do you feel called to something this morning? Do you feel that God has put you on earth to do what you're doing this morning. You may say, well, I'm just a Sunday school teacher. I'm just this. I'm just that. I'm just a homemaker. I'm just a wife. I'm just a mother, just a farmer, whatever it is. Maybe it doesn't feel like a calling today. So how do we look at what, where we're at in life? And whether we are doing what God has called us to do. Especially young people, maybe you this morning. I had to think back when I was a teenager. If you'd have told me I'd be right where I'm at today, the job I have, how many children I have, that I'm up here in the pulpit, I would have... Not, not, I would not have expected it, let me say it that way, at that point in my life. So was that meaning that when I was 15, I wasn't in my calling, I wasn't in God's will at that point in my life? I don't believe that's true. I would like to, sh- I'm going to, I plan to share this morning a bit of my journey to where I'm at today. To hopefully, not to lift myself up at all, not that. Not to say that my journey is better than yours. We each have our, had our own walk, the things that God has taken us through. But I'm hoping that as I share mine to help you understand that at each stage in my life, was I inside or outside of God's calling for my life? Today, if you are struggling to feel at peace about where you're at, It doesn't mean you're outside of what God has called you to do. I believe we each have a calling. I'm going to start it at when I graduated high school. So I believe all of you that are children at home, you are under your parents' authority. That is your calling. And if your parents tell you that you need to go through 12 grades of school, then you should probably go through 12 grades of school. That's your calling at that point in your life, even if it doesn't feel like that to you. Um, For myself, school was a struggle. And so I would have been glad to get out and not have to finish. But it was good for me to finish, to graduate. So from there, I spent a year, a little over a year, working at a job. 
I wasn't sure what God was going to call me to at 19, 20 years old. At 20, I went on the water program and went to Guatemala because I had an interest in Spanish-speaking people. I thought, well, maybe God will call me to that. So I spent five, six weeks in, in Guatemala with the water program. Still not sure of what God's calling was for me. I came home. I continued to work the job I had. A year later, I went back to Guatemala as a single VSer. Was I now in God's calling where I had not been six months, a year earlier? I spent a little over a year. Then I came home and I went to Bible school for a couple terms. Was I outside of God's calling there? Not necessarily, I don't believe I was. But I believe God was taking me through each of those things to help prepare me for what he was going to call me to. I remember at the end of the uh, fourth term tour, I thought it, with my personality, I thought it was a silly exercise, but I'm just going to share it. It's just kind of fascinating. People would make predictions about other chorus members to where they thought they would be 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And at that point, young people, I had just started dating, so it looked like I was probably at some point going to end up married. And someone thought that I would end up a preacher, which I had no idea at that point in my life why they thought that, um, because I still did not feel that calling on my life yet. They thought I'd be married with 10 children. And... uh, God didn't bless me that way, but I still feel very blessed to have the four that God has given me. And so, was I in God's calling? Uh, When I got done with Bible school, I was dating now. So, obviously, that was where my focus was for the next year and a half, was working towards marriage. My wife and I got married, and about a year later, we returned to Guatemala. And this is where I would say that of all the steps and directions that God took me, this may be the one that I struggle with the most to whether I was in my calling was when my wife and I went back to Guatemala after we had just been married a little over a year. Did I do it because of the right, did I do it for the right reasons, the right motives? I believe that God works with us. If you are wanting to serve Him and you have an opportunity in front of you and you take it. But looking back, I wonder if I didn't on this one push the door, kick the door open, if you know what I mean. I'm looking back, I'm not sure that the door was completely open there. But we went and served for two and a half years in Guatemala, seeing if that's what God's calling was for our life. Was long-term mission work our calling? It didn't appear that it was. After two and a half years, we, at the end of our first term, we came home. 
And I felt peace about coming home. I felt like that was what we were supposed to do. We spent five years in Indiana here. And then we were asked to go to Nicaragua to serve. And my wife and I had grown, I think, spiritually in making sure that this truly was where God wanted us to go. And the interesting thing was we prayed about it, sought the Lord's direction for a number of weeks, but could not come to peace about it. Even though the door seemed open, we were willing, and yet we had no peace. And so at that point, we told them no. So were we, it was a struggle. Were we inside or outside of God's calling for us? The reason I share this is that maybe this is where you're at this morning. Maybe this is where you're struggling with. Am I in God's calling for where he has me at this point in life? Six months later, the church called us, and I was ordained here at Salem. And that's where we've been the last ten years. I do feel at peace about it, even though it's not always easy. I feel like that right now, I am where God wants me to be. The last ten years, has God has called me to serve here. Does that mean that's where he's going to always have me? I don't know. But it's important that at each step in your life, as a young person, you have a lot of choices. It may seem like you have a lot of open doors in front of you. Seek God's will. But don't overthink it. Don't overstress it either. That God may take you through something that isn't your long-term life calling, but yet it may be there. He'll take you through it to teach you and show you. So, my encouragement to especially the young ones, continue to seek God's will. Serve. Work. Even if it seems like a boring, mundane job, God may be teaching you things that he will use to shape you for later in your life. What does it mean now that I've established, I believe that we all are called to something What does it mean then to walk worthy of that calling? What does it mean to work worth, walk worthy of the calling if you're just called to be a housewife, a mother? And I think that what it means is to be faithful in the opportunities God has put in front of you. If God's given you a large family, be faithful in caring for them, loving them. If God has called you to be a mechanic, be faithful in that. Do it as if you're working on Jesus' car, on his vehicle. Love the people that come into your life. I had to think of another example from my own life of thinking of this idea of walking worthy uh, when we came back from Guatemala in 2008, uh, the economy was just heading into the recession, and I uh, struggled a little bit to find a job. I applied a couple of places where I had worked before, and I had left on good terms, and they were happy to see me, but neither of those places, none of the places I, I asked were hiring at the time. 
And so I applied at Cutting Edge, which my brother Gerald worked there, a number of people from Salem worked there. So that helped them kind of be able to do references to know who I was. But I remember sitting there in the plant manager's office after the interview and him saying, well, will you take the job? And I was kind of shocked because all the other places have been like, well, we, we kind of like to hire you, but we don't have any openings. So I was really surprised that as soon as the interview was over, he was asking me. And I, I had expected that he'd say, well, we'll give you a call. And I said, well, that's quick. Um, I'd like to pray about it for a little bit and talk it over with my wife before giving you an answer. He's like, well, we need an answer pretty quick. He's like, and he pointed, he tapped this stack of papers on his desk. And he said, all those are applications of people wanting the same job you just applied for. And that stuck in my mind for a number of years that as I worked there, I didn't want to let that plant manager down who had chosen me over that whole stack of other people. God has chosen you for where you're at. You could say there's a whole unimaginable size stack of papers of people that God has placed here on this earth. He's chosen you, given you a calling to serve him where he's placed you. Are you walking worthy of the fact that he called you? Are you living up to your end of the contract, as you would say? Look what God has done for you. He has He sent his son to die on the cross for us. He gave everything. What are we doing in return? And so are we walking worthy of that? I am running out of time. I'm going to try to move quickly here, but I want to move on then to the next section of verses here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led the captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that descended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So as we think about What is our calling? Why did he give us a calling? Why did he give us gifts, talents, natural interests that um, when used through the prism or through Scripture can be edifying, can be lifting up of the body of Christ? Why did he do all things? It was so that He could build and create the body of Christ that we see around us in the church. 
I know I'm not saying anything new this morning, but remember, even if the job that God is calling, the thing that God has called you to, seems boring, seems unimportant, us four men that are in the ministry could not do everything. We could not be the janitors and all the Sunday school teachers and everything. We need all of you. We need each other in the brotherhood. And so are we doing what God has called us to? Are we being faithful in that? I do want to look at verse 3 and talk about it a little bit. This will be the most controversial part of my message this morning. But what does it mean keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? And I'm going to mostly talk about what it isn't, I think. And then I want to talk about what it is. But when I looked it up, on, did some studying, looking at other people's thoughts, there are a lot of people out there who take this, I believe, in an unscriptural direction. To them, the idea of unity is ecumenicalism, where we're all just one big group why have differences in standards why have differences in churches and practice and this morning i do not believe that's what it is talking about yes we are called to be unified and especially within the local church the local brotherhood there needs to be unity in spirit because if without that it's going to be very difficult to have a body that works together well. It's going to be difficult to be able to present a loving picture to the community around us if we're constantly fighting each other, disagreeing, and struggling with how we live out our faith. One, one uh, I, was, I like to have analogies, and this morning I wanted to think of an analogy when it comes to unity. And the, the, the analogy, the best analogy I can come with, maybe in a week or two I'll think of something that makes more sense, but think of an onion. How many here, I think probably all of us, have cut through an onion, cut all the way through, straight down through? And what do you see in an onion? You have the core at the middle, and then what do you have after that? Lots of layers. And I think of unity that we have in the church, that there are different levels of unity. And at the center of the onion is the core, and that's the unity that we need to have with the Holy Spirit, with God. That... If we're living in obedience to Christ, we should have unity. There should be a a closeness, a unity like no other with God. Then the next layer in the onion would be the unity that we have with the brotherhood in the church. That should be very tight, close, 
unity. And then the next layer going out, you have the unity we would have with similar-minded conservative Anabaptist churches. Go out to the next layer, and you have the unity that we have with churches in, in our, in our um, world that practice maybe a little differently on the outside, but yet they, they, the important doctrines, they are still there. They still reject uh, divorce through marriage. They reject, they, they practice modesty, non-resistance, all these things. There's a unity with them that we, that's not as close as what we have with the local brotherhood, but yet there's a unity there. There's a, an understanding that we would have with them. Keep moving out. Do we have any unity with Lutherans and Catholics? And right on the, my immediate response would be, no, we don't have any unity with them. And yet, if you compare it to having, let's say you're in a conversation and there's a Catholic standing next to you and there's a Muslim standing there, are you going to feel like you have a little bit more unity with the Catholic than the Muslim? I would, because the Catholic at least understands when I talk about Jesus being my Messiah, the Catholic would agree with that, even if though we agree, disagree on a lot of very critical things that I could never be a part of a local brotherhood that would include Lutherans or Catholics. And yet there's a bit of unity there because there's some similarities in our beliefs. I hope I make sense this morning. When it comes to the unity that we need to have in the brotherhood, there has to be some level of, there are a lot of agreement on a lot of important things to have a local brotherhood. What is it talking about here when there's one body and one spirit called in the one hope of your calling? When it comes to the local brotherhood, there has to be unity there in belief, in doctrine, in practice. Does this mean that there won't be anyone outside of the conservative Anabaptism in heaven? I don't believe that. And I want to make that very clear this morning. I believe I have been misunderstood. There are people here that may disagree with me on this, but I believe there will be people from the Lutheran church, from the Catholic church, that will be in heaven. How God works that out that's that's not my that's not that's not for me to do but i need to be where god has called me you need to be where god has called you this morning and so if god has called you you do not feel at peace with the standards of the local brotherhood then you need to find a brotherhood that you can be in agreement with their standards like i said I do believe there'll be other people from other churches, other backgrounds, other practices different than mine that will be in heaven. But for me, right here, right now, it would be, I believe, for Kevin Martin, it would be wrong for Kevin Martin to be in any other church. It's where God has placed me. I believe it's where I have the peace about living out my Christian life. And that's why it's not wrong to take a stand 
to have standards, to have beliefs that may differ from other people who also call themselves Christians. Like I described with the onion, there's different levels of unity, but ultimately with the local brotherhood, we do have to agree on a lot of things for there to be able to be the unity that's needed in a local brotherhood. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he, he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have made of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When it comes to knowing who we should view as being unified in the body of Christ, at some point, your beliefs can get to the place where it's like this, what is described here in 1 Corinthians 6. A lot of places in the scripture, the church is compared to the marriage and vice versa. Marriage is compared to the church. At some point, if you try to unify with someone who believes things that are unscriptural, at some point you will be joining yourself to a harlot. In Revelations, it describes um, the false church. And some people think it's the Catholic church. I'm not here to say that. I think... We understand there's many, many false believers who claim to believe in Christ, but do not follow him in a biblical, scriptural way. At some point, it's like joining yourself to a harlot. It will not just be edifying, lifting up of the local body, but it will cause us to commit fornication spiritually against Jesus Christ, our groom. We need to be walking obediently with him. This gets messy. Like I say, some of you are probably uncomfortable as I say this. This gets messy when flushing it out in a daily dealing with other churches. How do we view them? I think we need to have grace. We need to have patience. But at the same time, in the local brotherhood, we have to work together closely. So we do have to, to agree on a lot of things when it comes to Scripture and doctrine and practice. I th- another idea I thought when you're thinking of joining um, one man that I listened to for just a little bit and then I saw where he was going and I stopped listening, but when he talked about this verse um, 3 here, Ephesians 4, he was promoting the, the fact that he knew of a local Baptist church and Lutheran church in his community who were going to join and become one. And to me, that's like hooking up a horse and a dog. Can you hook up a team of horses and they can work together well? 
you can hook up a team of dogs and they can pull together well, but you can't hook them at the same team. It just will not work. If the Catholic truly believes what he believes is the truth, for him to be Lutheran, he would have to deny what he believes is true and vice versa. We, we are going to have to answer for our own beliefs. So I don't believe in the postmodern idea that as long as you believe something, then you're good. No, we have to believe the truth. So how does it flesh out here of being one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord? We need to be faithful as we work together as a local brotherhood. We need to seek out to know God's will for our life. It's not wrong to seek it. Maybe you don't know what it is right now. And maybe God is not going to reveal that to you immediately. But keep seeking His will. Keep trusting Him. Keep following Him in spite of that. But ultimately, if you want to know whether you're using the gifts, the talents that God has given you, look at what it's doing in the local brotherhood. Is it edifying? Is it building up? I want to look there in verses 13 to 16. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is ahead, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. As we look at what God has called us to do, if it's doing those things, then I believe we are in God's will and we're doing what we have been called to do. Now, if the gifting that we think that God has called us to is doing the opposite, then we should probably stop and pause and reevaluate whether we're doing what God has called us to do. Are we causing tensions? Are we causing strife in the brotherhood? As we express our gift, then we should reevaluate whether we're doing what God has called us to do. I'm not going to, uh, we'll pick up with the rest of the chapter later, but in closing, I wanted to read the last verse here of Ephesians 4. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ultimately, when we have disagreements in the brotherhood, we need to remember to be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving. Because ultimately, what are we, why are we called to be a part of a brotherhood? Yes, part of it's for our own benefit, edification, but ultimately, it's to bring glory and honor to Christ. And as, as, uh, as we're using our gift, our calling, is it doing that or is it causing the opposite?
Lord bless each one of you this morning.